We're going to continue in our study, uh, a a study which we are uh, kind of entitling and kind of coming off of uh, a book uh, similar to Chuck Colson's book, How Now Shall We Live? Or uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote a similar book, but we're just looking at how then shall we live? If these things are true, say it differently, since these things are true, how should that change how we live in this world? How do we view life because of the truth of the gospel, the truth of what God is laying out in his word? And so last week, we looked at the theology of uh, the word of God, that uh, God is speaking, God reveals himself, God is the one who his voice defines what's going on. And then we find ourselves in, in the greatest sense of freedom under the authority of God, and that uh, so much of uh, kind of our world is really trying to come out from under any kind of authority, but yet freedom is truly found under the authority that we were designed for. And, uh, and so we looked at the Word of God. Today we're going to look at the idea of creation, that God is the maker of heaven and earth, as the first line of the Apostles' Creed would confess. And so what difference does it make that God made everything? What difference does it make that, uh, that uh, this is not just a bunch of happenstance or that there was a big bang that happened and poof? We are here. What difference does it make that God created compared to an accidental existence? Well, there are lots, and there are tons of implications as to how we view life, how we live life, what we do tomorrow morning has its, it has its root in the fact that God is the creator of heaven and earth. And so we're going to be looking at Genesis 1, and then we're going to be in, in Isaiah 40 because it picks up creation and kind of asks the questions, what do we do with that? Uh, but um, we're going to read the first five verses uh, to start us off, and then we're going to go back and forth uh, into these passages. So uh, like we do each week, we just express our submission to the Word of God. Would you stand as we do that, as we just express, this is God speaking, and we long to hear from him. So Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Obviously, this goes on through the next, uh, through day six of creation, and then God rested. But we'll stop there for now, uh, just to set the stage uh, for what we're going to be looking at. Uh, Why don't we pray together? Uh, Father, I just ask that you would be in our midst. Uh, God, that you would speak to us. Father, that you would show us just what is it, that you are the maker of heaven and earth. God, that you are the creator, uh, that that is the foundational reality to our world, and to our lives. And God, I pray that that would sink deep. And yet, God, as Todd prayed earlier, we find ourselves living our own way, living out from under that truth. And uh, God, I pray that the gospel would sink deep 
our need for your grace, our need for uh, your spirit to show us that, and God, that we would find ourselves in repentance, coming back and turning back to you as the living God. And so thank you for this morning, and I pray, Father, that you would speak by the power of the Spirit through your word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So I want, to imag- I want you to imagine yourself on a hike. Okay, you're hiking through this forest, you know, kind of a deep forest, one of those untainted natural landscapes, just absolute beauty of nature. And you're going and you're, you're, you're hours into a hike. You know, you haven't seen signs of another person for miles in hours. And you are just deep in the forest and you round this one corner and you find a perfect line of a hundred stones of similar color, similar size, perfectly aligned, not deviating to the left or to the right at all. What do you assume happened here? How did those stones get there? Every single one of us, if asked, you would all say someone obviously put them there. Why? Because order begs for someone to order it. You know, nobody in this room said, you know, isn't nature simply amazing? You know, these rocks of perfect similar size and similar color aligned themselves in this perfect line, in this untainted landscape. Isn't nature amazing? Nobody said, you know, erosion and wind and water runoff. Isn't it amazing that all these, li- all these rocks lined up as they did in such perfect order? N- nobody's thinking that. Somebody says, no, somebody put these rocks in order. Now, I want you to take the most secular, naturalistic scientist out on the same hike and have them come around the same corner and ask them, how did these rocks get there? I would assume that a scientist would say the same exact thing that you and I would say. That it is somebody placed these rocks in this perfect order because order doesn't come out of chaos. Similar size, similar color, straight lines, all those things. There has to be an order to that, and an order is someone who ordered it in such a way. The idea of things uh, in order coming out of some sort of chaos begs for a creator. And so when we look at this understanding that that God is the maker of heaven and earth, we are saying exactly that. This is not an accident. This did not uh, come out of some random event. This, everything that we see, everything that is here, uh, is by the hand of God. Or at least has flowed out of something that God has created maker of heaven and earth. It really is the the sense that it all starts with God. That is not exactly the most profound point uh, or, you know, the, the most complex point in the world, but it's definitely profound. It all starts with God. And so Genesis 1, uh, if you want a memory verse, this is a great one. Because this sets the stage of all found, the foundation of all reality. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We really could just take this and just speak 
uh, our entire time on this one verse, because in that you see three very, very, uh, you know, crucial aspects. You see that there's a beginning. You see that it was God who was the one who was there uh, at that beginning uh, and, cre- and made that beginning. And then he created the beginning that the world had a start that the universe has a beginning. And it's amazing that science all of a sudden in the last many years is saying, hey, this universe had a start somewhere. This, it, it's, not, it's not just limitless. It began somewhere in some way, right? Uh, in the beginning, God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all active in creation. A lot of people ask, is the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Yes, verse 2, that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, this formless and void or empty creation. The Son, uh, according to Colossians 1, is active in creation. So Father, Son, and Spirit are all active in creation. In the beginning, God did what? Created. Well, the word in Hebrew is barah. And this word in, in the Bible, there's only one subject of this verb. It's not like Keith did this. Not Keith, it's never ascribed to anybody else. The only subject of any sentence using this verb is God. God creates. God creates, as Todd said earlier, out of nothing. In all of the other passages in the Bible, we refer back to creation and address it not just as some abstract concept, but as a historical fact. That from the lens of the Bible, everything we know and everything we see was created at a point in time by the Word of God. And, and so as the rest of the scriptures start to unpack creation, what do we see? Different passages talk about the power of God. Uh, Different uh, passages uh, speak to the fact that he is above nature and is great and infinite. We see uh, other passages speaking of the wisdom of God uh, that is in the work of creation. We actually looked at that through the lens of, of Proverbs Oddly enough, you know, the the wisdom of God showing up through his world. We see that God is sovereign or reigning over all things, and he has a purpose in creation. In all of that, you see power, you see greatness, you see this magnitude. And uh, one such passage that kind of frames that, and and they're all over the place. It's not that there's only one or two. It's just constant. The things that uh, the word of God unfolds is Nehemiah 6, or Nehemiah 9, verse 6. It's pretty small, but uh, if you have good eyesight, you can read along with me, uh, or feel free to look uh, just in your scriptures, that Nehemiah 9, 6 kind of captures all of these aspects says that you are the Lord, you alone. You made the heaven, the heavens of heaven with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. The host of heaven worships you. So God is the one who made heaven, the one who made earth, the one who put all the things on the earth, the one who made the seas and put everything in them. Nehemiah 9, 6. And so God created the heavens and the earth. But when we think about that, we tend to only think about visible things. 
But think about all the other aspects of our world that are unseen, like love, like a conscience, like wisdom. That So Colossians 1 verse 16 would say, for by him, he's actually speaking of the son, Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That he made all things, and there's this, the, the, the phrase of out of nothing. We, uh, you know, kind of uh, the, the, uh, the ancient language would be uh, that he created ex nihilo. Okay, uh, if you pick up a, the, a theology book, that's the phrase they'll use, which means God created out of nothing. What it means is there was nothing pre-existing that He used to create. He created all things out of nothing by what the power of His word, and that alone, out of nothing. The things that we see and the unseen things are from the hand. Of God. Now you might be saying, that's a lot to, to uh, take in. And that's why I appreciate the scriptures and the honesty of the Bible. Hebrews 11, verse 3. This is that hall of faith passage. All these things that people did by faith. Guess what? By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Meaning, what is seen now was not made out of other things that we saw. It was made out of and by the word of God and that alone. And the reason we believe that is by faith. By faith, God has allowed us to understand that he has created all things. Now, In all of that, what is the fallout? What is uh, the the truth for us that it all starts from God, that he created all things by the power of his word? First off, I am not God, and neither are you. I am not the center of the universe, and neither are you. But yet the arrogance of the human heart says what? Exactly that. The arrogance of the human heart is I want to sit on the throne of my life. I want to run my life and I want to arrange my life. And, you know, have you ever been in a conversation and you're talking about a certain topic and somebody all of a sudden takes that topic and it's now about them? And it's like, wait, wait, what happened to our conversation that was about like this thing over here? Well, because there's something innate in the human heart I would say, tragically, that makes everything about us. You know, that we, we take life and we make us the center of it. And we were never designed to be there. Creation speaks to the fact that I am not God. I am not the center of the universe. But yet the arrogance of the human heart insists that we are. If you want to start to diagnose what is the human condition and the problem with it, you could probably start there at a very fundamental level. That when we start to frame reality as if we are the center, when we in fact are not, 
you are going to have some really clunky ways of living and going through life. So Paul Tripp, uh, when he thinks about creation, here are three lies uh, that uh, the human heart or, uh, you know, that people struggle with, three lies that the idea of creation just obliterates. The idea that God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, meaning that you and I don't have an existence without God making this world and life. What does it push on? It pushes on the idea of autonomy. Basically, that you are the boss. Okay? Because if you can't find your life on your own, you can't create your life on your own, you owe it to the one who has created. There is no sense of perfect and absolute autonomy. We were never designed that way. But yet last week, we looked at authority and freedom. We all want to come out from under that authority. Relativity, meaning, you know what? All things are just up for grabs. There's nothing that's really true, nothing that's really set in stone. There's nothing that's really uh, just absolute. Uh, Whatever is true for you is true for you. Whatever's true for me is true for me. Creation says, no, God created the heavens and the earth. He placed things as they are. He designs them. He orders them. We're going to see this in a second. And creation kind of presses in against autonomy, where I'm the boss, but relativity, meaning there is no right way. There is no real truth. And whatever I want to do, I can do. No, God creating says, you know what? He set up a way that this world works. Autonomy, relativity, and then self-sufficiency. Creation just obliterates that. The idea that you can exist on your own. Did you catch that song, the second song that we sang? It was about um, great are you, Lord, but we're singing it from the perspective of a worshiper. It's your breath, God, in our lungs. You don't exist one moment beyond this breath unless God gives you another one. It's your breath, God, that's in my lungs, and therefore I can praise you. That the idea of self-sufficiency is a complete and utter myth. We can't even live on our own in this world, let alone uh, in this, uh, you know, just going through life, let alone actually have our existence. So creation presses in against the sense where I want to take control of my life. I want to create the rules. I want to think, think and feel like I can exist on my own. Creation presses and obliterates those things. And so it all starts with God. Then what do we see in creation is that his voice defines reality. Okay? So uh, back in verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the, over the water. So there was this formless, chaotic uh, kind of without form uh, creation of God, okay? And what brings it into order? Verse 3, okay, what's the very beginning of verse 3? We'll go back and pull it up, okay? And God said. A lot of times we're often looking at what he said, let there be light, but the key to this that's repeated over and over throughout Genesis 1 is that, and God said, let there be light. 
that the voice of God is the defining reality or the defining thing of reality, that there is no truth without God's voice. There is no life without God's voice. There is no creation without God's voice. There is no order. So God's voice, not just his power, but his voice is defining reality. Remember last week we looked at the word of God and that it is God speaking to us and give in revealing himself to us, letting us know who he is, how, how does this world work, and how do we live in it. It is God speaking. He brought this world into being and he sustains all things by the word of his voice. What's really interesting is going back to that idea, um, not just that it starts with God, there we go, but that he defines reality. So uh, an aspect of that is not just the subject of things, but the uniqueness of our planet. So the definition of reality is, it's not random that we live on earth. Because, uh, you know, one, one website, Banner of Truth from the United Kingdom, they, they, they talked about just the magnitude of earth compared to the rest of the universe, that the earth is just dwarfed in its size by just uh, many things, let alone four planets in our solar system, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Uranus, uh, and uh, Neptune, that Neptune is actually 318 times bigger than earth. 318 times larger. That's a planet uh, in our solar system. But yet it doesn't get our attention or God's attention. What does? Earth. Nobody knows how many stars or suns are in the Milky Way. Someone have, have estimated between 60 to 400 billion stars are in our uh, in the Milky Way galaxy. Hubble telescope has detected uh, about 80 billion other galaxies in the universe. Those are just, those are numbers we don't even have categories for. They're just like fictitious zeros behind numbers. Like, what does that even mean, right? And yet, Genesis 1-1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The definition of reality is that this planet matters extremely for the redemptive plan of God. God's interest was focused on this world and its inhabitants, men and women, as we're going to look at next week, made in the image of God. There was something unique about this place. There's something unique that no other planet has. You know, when you start to think about uh, all the different aspects of that, you know, just even in uh, that, that Earth is uh, the only planet that we know of that has uh, flowing liquid water. And because of that, it regulates our temperature. Uh, one article said, you know, you've ever sat on the beach on a hot summer day and you're like, man, I wish I could bottle this up and like hold it till winter, right? And they made the point that that's exactly what the oceans do is that they bottle up heat and they regulate our temperature from high highs and low lows, that they, they gather heat. And in our world, the only one that we know of that has water, one, two, three, four, five, there are five sets of three zeros 
then another 670 before that, and then 352 before that. The number is 353 quintillion gallons of water on earth. I don't even know what that means. It's billion, trillion, quadrillion, and quintillion. I did look it up. Uh, 353 quintillion gallons of water on our planet, all serving some sense of purpose uh, that God has established, that God's voice defines reality, that there's something unique about this planet, and then there's something unique by which how we live in it. And what do we see is that his voice defines structure and order. So let's go back to Genesis 1, okay? We're going to pick up in verse 3, but I want you to hear when we look at this, we're going to look at the first three days of creation. Hear how God separates things or how God divides things or forms things. So it was formless. Now how does God separate and divide? So verse 3, God said, here's his voice, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that, uh, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate uh, the waters from waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the third day. So what did God do in the first three days of creation is that he separates or forms uh, things. Day one, he separates light from darkness, day and night. Day two, separates waters above from the water below basically the heavens and the, the seas. And then he actually takes that water and then separates land from the sea itself in day three and brings vegetation on the earth. So the work of separation, the work of division, the work of formation, structure, order, all those things is day one, two, and three. And then he comes back in days four, five, and six and populates those things. So you could say the first three days were forming, the second three days were filling. You know, so there's the work of separation and then the work of populating what he divided. Verses 15 or 14 and following, you pick up days four, five, and six. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night 
and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on earth. And there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures, According to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the, of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds, everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God said that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, Uh, birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. First three days, God separates and divides and and forms these these things. The the second three days, God fills that. So uh, in day one, he made light and darkness. Day four, he put the, the light bearers in the sky. Day two, he separated the waters. Day five, He filled the heavens and he filled the seas, birds and fish. Uh, In day three, he separated the land and the seas. Day six, he's already filled the sea, but he fills the land. So one one author, Mark Berry, uh, you won't be able to see that necessarily. Um, It's a little small, but it's day one, day four, day two, day five, day three, day six. And it's the same picture. There's a lot of attempts at this. This was the best one that I saw, okay? So day one, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? The light and the darkness. And then day four, he fills it with the light bearers, moon and sun. Day five, he creates the heaven, and then he creates water beneath. Day, or day two, day five, he populates birds and fish. Day three, he, he separates the land from the seas. Day six, he populates the land. And so you see this, uh, this structure in order to the reality of creation, kind of two structures of what God is doing, the separating and the populating and the order and the magnitude of all things. What's interesting is that science laughed at this idea for years, because how could you create light and not have the sun? And it was, it was like uh, people who believed in creation were just mocked. Uh, but yet, the scriptures don't term the idea of 
uh, of the sun as light itself. It actually is the Hebrew word of a light bearer. It's not just light, but there's a, it's the, the one who carries light. Uh, it is a light bearer, the one that kind of passes light through because as science has found, light does not just, uh, is not a substance emanating from the sun, but it consists of ether waves produced by energetic, energetic electrons. The sun just bearing that, light itself can exist. The sun is not necessary uh, for that to exist. And so the sun bears the light. It doesn't necessarily produce it. And so we see this order and substance, but we also see design. Uh, So did you catch that as I read verse 12 and verse 21, uh, that all of these were created according to its kind, according to its kind, according to its kind, according to its kind. It's like, all right, we got the point. And then we say, no, other species can come from other species. God says, no, according to its kind, a seed produces this plant. An animal produces it according to its kind, bearing fruit according to their seeds, seed according to their kind, sea creatures, theirs, winged birds according to their kind, that there is a design to creation. As we're going to see next week, male and female, God created them both in the image of God. There is a design embedded in creation uh, that God has brought about, a structure and an order and a design. We're going to pick up more about that next week, but then limits and boundaries. This is just fascinating. I was talking to uh, Pete. Uh, he's actually down seeing his, his parents. The whole family's down there. And he was just reading through Genesis on his own. And we were just having this conversation of what does the sense of creation bring to our lives? What realities do we tend to push against? Where he looked at autonomy, relativity, self-sufficiency. What about limits? Because in the work of creation, God creates and then he separates He separated light from dark. He separated land from sea. He separated the sky from the waters beneath. Uh, Even in day seven, God rests. And guess what? We are designed to rest as well. Uh, You know, later on, uh, he gives every fruit tree in the garden to Adam and Eve, except one, a limit, a boundary. Don't eat of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then what is the initial temptation that Satan throws out to them? You can frame it a lot of different ways, but verse 5 is really interesting. For God knows that when you eat of it, that one tree that he said not to, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's really crazy is that's half true. Actually, it's a lot true, except the you'll be like God part you will actually have knowledge that you don't have now because God has put a limit or a boundary around you. Satan's like, don't you, that boundary and that limit, that is nonsense for you. You need to get out from under it. You need to come out of the authority of God. You need to break through the limit that God has established for you. And you will grow in your knowledge of death, destruction, evil, temptation, discord, angst, anxiety, just frustration. You you will grow in your knowledge, but you won't like it. 
It's interesting that that the, the initial temptation is God knows. God knows that there's something on the other side of us breaking through that limit. But yet God gives us these limits, these natural boundary lines in creation, not to torture us, but for our good. I'm very thankful that the ocean stops where God says it does. Because Myrtle Beach as a city wouldn't exist, right? We wouldn't probably exist if it was just running all over and and there was no boundary line there. Think about uh, even after Noah, God limits the years of mankind's lifespan. The Tower of Babel, people thinking they can do everything. What does God do? God confuses their language and separates them. Confining their ability, confining their capacity, because limits given and brought about by God are actually good. In creation, and even as God is seeking to redeem, they're actually good. But think about extreme sports, right? Why do we love it? Why do we love just people that are willing to do absolutely crazy things? Is because they're testing and pushing the limits of human experience, right? And then we all understand that that's not going to go well sometimes. But yet there's something in us that wants to push on the very limits uh, of what God has designed. Now, there's a difference between exploration, meaning plumbing the depths of God's creation, and pushing against the limits or fighting against God's design for us. Because it's God's voice that defines reality. Creation is very much setting the stage for that. And then fast forward, what do we do with that? We've got to understand that our lives are dependent upon him or that nothing has life without him. And it's not just I have breath and I can breathe. It's that my very life is actually meant to hinge on God. Okay, we're going to get deeper into this next week with the Uh, the image of God and how we're created. But when God says that he is the creator and and this world is very good, it means that this world was meant to be enjoyed. It means that God made this for us to live here and to enjoy this world and to worship him in the process. Our lives are dependent upon him, but he gives us these things to be enjoyed. One author said, matter matters. This world matters. And and in this world, we actually find what we are created for is to know God and enjoy him. So he's creator, but he's also sustainer. So what does creation require from us? So go to Isaiah 40. So Isaiah 40, we're going to get to a, a part of scripture that you're very, very familiar with, but the context of it is creation. So Isaiah is picking up the idea of creation, the concept, the historical fact, the power of God in creation, and then he's actually kind of bringing out the implications of what does that mean. So he's speaking to a people who are very uh, kind of uh, down, um, kind of wondering, is God's good? Will he deliver on his promises? Will he be there for his people? Uh, Will he restore And this chapter comes as the first, kind of that first breath of restoration that he speaks. What does creation require from us? Uh, Let's start in verse 21. God says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Like kind of, where have you been? 
Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. So God is on the throne. You and I are like grasshoppers in compared to him. It is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as, an, as emptiness. And right there, what do you see? Did God just create and then forget about this world and sit back, arms crossed, kind of like, well, how's it going to go? Is that God's posture? Not at all. He is actively bringing princes to nothing, establishing rulers on the earth, raising them up, establishing these things, and bringing uh, human uh, history to bear. Then it goes on in verse uh, 24, scarcely are they planted. And this is the princes of earth, by the way. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely uh, as, they stem, uh, as their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble, meaning he raises up rulers and he takes away rulers of nations. He is active in the creation that he made. So then, what is, what's the call? If he is the one who created, if he's the one who made all things, what then ought we do is to look to the one who made things. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. This is it. Lift up your eyes uh, on high and see who created these. So in a sense, it's God created. The call of us is to look up, to lift up our eyes and look at the things and say, who created these? He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Why do you feel like he's abandoned you? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint." What is the call of God for those who, uh, who uh, are in this world is to understand that he is the everlasting God. He is the creator. He is the one that we find our very life in. He is the one that the book of Acts talks about where the apostle Paul is speaking that he gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything else. In him we live and move and have our being. It's that moment by moment dependence that we were created for. It's not just God created and forgot about us. God created, and because of that, he can be trusted. And he needs to be trusted. When we are weary, when we are faint, when we have no more strength, he is the one we can look to. 
He's the one who created us, the one we were meant to worship, the one that we were meant to find our life in. But how do we find ourselves living? Oftentimes arrogantly, self-sufficient, autonomous, on our own, thinking we have no limits, living as if he is not God. And the gospel brings us back to reality. The gospel is I'm living on my own terms. Or the gospel says, I live on my own terms, but yet it is the death of Jesus that pays for the rebellion of my heart and yours and actually brings us back into what we were designed for. That is, God as creator, us as the created, and in him we find our very life. If you find yourself finding life in any other way outside of that, the gospel is calling you back, not in shame, but to realign your heart with the things that you were made for. So let's pray, and we'll just can, uh, continue uh, in our study next week. God, I pray that uh, you would take uh, these words, many as they are, uh, of Genesis 1 and Isaiah 40. God, I pray that we would understand that you are the everlasting God. You were the one who created. And God, what do we lose when we lose sight that you are the creator? What do we lose when we want to make ourselves king? What do we lose when we live as if we have no limits? What, if we lose, what do we lose if this is just a random course of events? Father, we lose all of the foundational reality of life and that you set up for us. God, bring us back by your grace. And so, Father, when my heart arrogantly rests on myself, God, would you gently bring me back? Father, when I arrogantly think uh, that I don't need you or need anybody else, would you gently bring me back? Father, I pray that for all of us. Father, for those who have never come to know you as the creator, the living God, the one who redeems broken, rebellious people, God, I pray that you would uh, show yourself to them, draw yourself to them, and I pray that today would be the day of salvation. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.